All right, you can be opening up your Bibles again today to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be continuing our study there. Um, next week is our Refined Sunday, so this, uh, all the adult classes will be meeting in here next Sunday morning, and Brother Jay Hall is going to be delivering a lesson at that time. Of course, if you don't know, that's, uh, uh, we'll be having our 9 o'clock class, our 10 o'clock service, and then a fellowship meal afterward followed by our evening service right after the fellowship meal, probably around one o'clock. So make sure to uh, set your, be sure to uh, att be ready to attend that and enjoy that. And it should be a, a great weekend uh, to finish up our year uh, going and, and of 2022 and look forward to the new year of service. So as you know, we've been studying in the book of Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. And, uh, as you know, if you've been here, obviously, he's dealing with some issues, uh, particularly around things that have crept in to the churches there after he had been to Galatia, after he had helped establish those congregations there in different places in the region of Galatia. And, of course, one of what the main thing there was, that you had uh, some Jews, perhaps Jewish Christians, that had crept into the church and are trying to teach that they still need to be circumcised, that that was still a requirement to get into heaven. That was still a requirement, that you had to keep the law, that you had to be following the Mosaic law, and that had to be kept. And of course, Paul's whole uh, re uh, rebuke to that is that we now have freedom in Christ. We now have liberty in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> it's not about keeping the law, although the law is our tutor, that's how we know, right? That's how we know right from wrong. We have that revealed through what God has revealed to us through the law. But it's not that we have to keep that to get into heaven. We now have the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. We have no hope other than that, right? We can't keep the law in the flesh. It's not possible. There's only one that was good, and that was Jesus Christ in the flesh. And he kept it. We cannot do it. Therefore, we have to have help, and God has provided that through sending his son to die for us and shed his blood. Therefore, we have a hope. We have a freedom as God designed it to be. You see, that theme he's talking about is that freedom we have to live as God designed it to be, right? And we can kind of say that's like heaven is going to be. God has designed heaven to glorify to, to those. You, you, when we look at things in heaven, we, hear, we read about the angels there, the heavenly host, the constant glorification of God, the, uh, the constant, you might say, singing and carrying on, the, the joy, the great joy, the not, the not having sorrow, all those things are part of that. And when God designed man, he intended it to be like heaven, right? He guard, the garden was, was perfect when he did it. He created a woman to give man a help, right? But sin creeped into the world, and that caused things to change in this world. Sin creeped in, therefore things changed, and it was not like God wanted it to be. Therefore, he had to send his son to, to remedy that, right? He had to send his son, and therefore, through the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, we can now live the way he intended, with freedom uh, from sin, with freedom from that guilt, with freedom from having to make sure we keep the law rigidly. And so by doing that, we now don't have to live worrying about what we did every day, worrying we did, well, you know, what, what sins we've committed, how we have to move them forward, how, what sacrifices we have to make because of that. Christ has been the ultimate sacrifice, and he's done it for us. 
We just have to have faith, and we have to grow and live according to the way he lived. Be a disciple. Try to live like Christ. And one of the things he's doing here is he contrasts what it means to be someone who lives according to the world as opposed to someone who lives according to Christ. In other words, someone who lives according to the flesh as opposed to living according to the Spirit. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what are some of those works of the flesh? What are some of those things that identify us as being someone who might be living according to the flesh, right? And he used those three verses. We're going to continue that and finish it today. And then in a few lessons later, we're going to look at what it means to walk in the Spirit. And we're going to contrast that, right? We're going to see the contrast. But right now we're looking at those works of the flesh. Of course, next week we won't have our class. We'll continue that after Refined Sunday. But for these several lessons, we've been reading in Galatians chapter 5. And of course, if you haven't been here, turn to verse 19. And we're going to read them again. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a pretty bold statement right there at the end, right? He mentions several things, lists several things that he would consider works of the flesh, okay, that men or people in the world do. In fact, some of those he's writing to had done, right? And he's saying these are works of the flesh. If they are to be continued, if you continue in these works of the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's very plain about it, right? Now, he's been talking about freedom, in Christ, you have a freedom to live without the guilt of sin. He's going on to say here, but you can't continue living like the world. If you continue to live like the world, well, first of all, you're not growing in the spirit. That's in a contrast. You can't serve both. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. The same statement can be made for us today, right? If we continue as Christians to participate over and over in the works of the flesh, we run the risk of not inheriting the kingdom of God. That should be foremost on our minds, right? That should be something we consider all the time. We broke these up into several categories, right? First, you have the sins of moral impurity, you know, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. And then we had idolatry and sorcery. We talked about that. Of course, idolatry being, you know, not just worshiping a stone figure, but we have idols in our lives today. It's very easy to get off track and worship. You're going to worship something. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's false doctrine. All those kind of things come into play there. Plus, we talked about the infractions of the law of love. We talked about the things like hatred, contentions, being jealous of other things, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, being divisive, particularly in the church, right, in the congregation. And these things, a lot of people say, oh, that's not that big a deal. Whoopee. Well, Paul describes them 
as being something that can keep you from inheriting the kingdom of God. Therefore, they're a big deal, right? There's something that can stop you from having your eternal life with God. In this study, we're going to end the, the last part of these verses talking about the works of flesh. And we're going to consider two things today, drunkenness and revelries, which can be classified as simply sins of intemperance, right? And uh, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit, and then we're going to make an observation about the manner in which Paul concludes his last his list of the works of the flesh. Sins of intemperance. He talks about drunkenness. The Greek word is metha, right? And this describes a state of intoxication due to alcohol. Did you know that the Bible is very strong in its condemnation of drunkenness? Did you know that? I say that for a reason, because today's world, we get the idea sometimes that eh, a little drinking's okay. That's not that big a deal. We get that from religious leaders sometimes, don't we? Right? Well, just, you know, it's no big deal. I drink a little bit at night. Help me sleep. Or I need something to calm the nerves every once in a while. Right? Well, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's see what the scriptures say about drunkenness there. 1 Corinthians Chapter 5. <clears throat> and let's look at verse 11. In fact, let's go back to verse 7 there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No. You yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, or revilers, nor, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Turn over to Proverbs, back there in the Old Testament. Let's look at a couple things old King Solomon had to say about drinking. It's all Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. He says, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Interesting, interesting point. Turn over chapter 23, Proverbs 23. I love this passage. Verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without a cause? Who has redness of the eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea 
or like one who lies at the top of the mast, saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake, but I may seek another drink? There on the mast, kind of reminds you of the old pirates, right? What is it? There's an old song about a drunken sailor. I can't remember how it goes, and I'm certainly not going to sing it. But that passage of Proverbs reminds you of that, doesn't it? In other words, they're saying, people who drink are dumb. They're stupid. Because it causes them to do things they would never do in their right minds. Drunkenness is a problem, folks, and the Bible condemns it. It warns about the dangers of drinking. Well, what about a little social drinking, right? What about that? I mean, what about drinking, you know, as long as I don't get drunk? I mean, it's condemning drunkenness, right? And you can drink a little bit without getting drunk, right? Well, how do you know? Do you know when you're drunk? I mean, I guess if you drive drunk, there's a certain level of alcoholic content in your blood that will determine by law that you're drunk or not. But then they'll tell you, well, somebody who weighs 100 pounds compared to someone who weighs 200 pounds will get drunk a lot faster. So there's a variance there, right? So how do you know, really? Of course, in the Bible times, things weren't quite as strong as they are today, right? Such was much higher. Uh, the levels of alcohol are much higher today due to the advanced distilling techniques. I remember talking to someone one time who thought it was fine. He's a Christian. And he tried to tell me that it was much stronger back then than it is today. And I'm going, you're telling me that I can go buy a 200 proof bottle of vodka? That that was not stronger than what they were drinking in Bible times? But that's what he was saying, you know, justifying what he was doing. Some of the strongest drinks in the past were not much stronger than our mild beers today. Thus making it much easier to get drunk today, right? In ancient Greece, there was actually little drunkenness because they would you know practice uh, diluting the wine like you know two or three parts of wine with water they diluted it we know about the the the, the wedding feast right when jesus turned water into wine right? now i don't think they were there getting drunk obviously that didn't make much sense if they were but whatever that was it was not very strong obviously point being the bible very adamant about drunkenness. Who are you to say, well, I can drink just a little bit and I'm okay. That's not being drunk. Are you sure? There's another principle here that we need to talk about too, right? With intemperance. Turn over to Romans chapter 14. Let's read a few verses from that. Romans chapter 14, and let's begin in verse 12. Paul says, So then each of us, not just one or two, each of us will give account for himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. 
Now he's referring back to uh, folks having a problem with eating meat, sacrificed idols, and things like that, that a more mature Christian might think, well, what's the big deal, right? You know, I, I, I could eat meat, you know, but if it bothers somebody, he's saying it's unclean then. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. That's a pretty powerful verse right there. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So, maybe you think it's okay to have a social drink. Maybe you're out with a sales call eating dinner one night and, you know, they're drinking. You feel like you got to join in because they're doing it. You want to make the sale after all, right? Should Christians engage in such an activity that contributes to someone seeing them as a Christian and thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're a hypocrite. Wait a minute. If you can do that, why can't I do it? Wait a minute. Yeah. See how that kind of comes up? Not only that, you're talking about something that is, contributes to one of the biggest drug problems in our country, and yes, alcohol is a drug. And I know some of you have had to deal with that in your own lives. Maybe not yourself, but somebody in your family. I don't know, maybe even a spouse. Not just killing people, but splitting folks up and all that, absolutely. It also contributes to about 25,000 or roughly innocent victims a year being killed in auto accidents because of drunk driving, right? It also causes all kinds of issues, as you talked about, in families. And it's estimated to be the cause of 25% or so of divorces that occur. We talk about what causes divorce, you know, money immorality, drinking's right up there. Exactly. What causes the money and immorality, yeah? Drinking. What becomes the responsibility of the Christian in this case? Of course, Malachi 2, 16, God hates divorce, right? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's read something there. Beginning of verse 31, he says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How many times have I said in here, what's our purpose here on the earth? As Christians, what is our main purpose? Glorify God, right? When we serve God, when we are humble, and we go out and live a life that's righteous, in service to one another, the world looks at us and says, you bunch of stupid idiots, why, why don't you have some fun? And we glorify God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that many, that 
that they may be saved. The point being is, why do you need to do it? Why do you have to be so selfish about it and say, I can drink and not get drunk. Who are you to tell me I can't do it? It amazes me to see how many Christians will talk big, you know, talk big about their Christianity and then turn around and go talk about they're going home having a glass of bourbon and a cigar. There's a guy on the radio, by the way. I listen to talk radio in my car. A guy on the radio. Not gonna mention any names. You probably know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> he's a big time political pundit. And he also talks about his Christianity. And at Christmas time he does this whole spiel about Jesus Christ and his birth. And then the next day he'll talk about that night how he can't wait to get home and have a glass of bourbon and drink and smoke a cigar. And you think, what? What in the point? You here you are, you have this great pedestal on the radio to talk to people about Christianity, and I don't know what his doctrine is necessarily, but he still can preach gospel. And then the next minute he's talking about getting drunk. Makes no sense to me, yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked constantly about that. In our freedom in Christ Jesus, our focus is to be on things above, sober-minded, on the Spirit. Did I see another hand over here? Yes, sir. Yeah. Good point. Very plain. Yeah, Wayne says, if there's more reason not to do something than to do it, then why do it? Absolutely. Point being, you got to think about where you are, who you are, what you stand for first. Remember, in the kingdom of heaven and in the church, we are part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, is reigning in his kingdom as we speak. That's true. Why is it about you? Why do you need to do something to make you feel better? Shouldn't you be thinking about what God wants me to do? What I should be doing as a Christian? How I should be living, right? Basically what you're saying is you're just hurting yourself. 
you're, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Absolutely. Other thing he talks about here, revelries, revel revelings, carousing, orgies. In the Greek, it's komos. This word refers to feasts, drinking parties that were often extended until late into the night. Romans chapter 13, let's read something that he says there. Chapter, uh, chapter 12, I mean 13, and verse 11. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high, now it is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the arm of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the faith to fulfill its lust goes with your point we don't need the stuff yeah it looks fun it looks cool right you got your buddies out there hey let's go have a party right such behavior is condemned not only in the old times when it went on but today modern day forms of this sin would include lots of things think of have you ever been to Mardi Gras in New Orleans <laughs> haven't been there I've been to New Orleans not Mardi Gras, I understand it's a pretty decadent place at that time of year. About New Year's parties. Some office parties get out of hand, right? Some of these things can occur. Even innocent people, Christians, go to them and they get caught up in it, right? It's easy to do that. Music concerts. All these things going. Just to give you an example, I'm going to gross you out for a minute. I hadn't been to a rock concert since I was a kid in college, I guess. Probably the last one I went to was, I looked it up, January 3rd, 1982. It was a Sunday, Sunday morning. A buddy of mine comes up and says, I got an extra ticket to see ZZ Top tonight. You want to go? I'm home for Christmas break. I said, sure, why not? I think we even went to evening service and then left from there to go to the Omni downtown. Sat down on the third seat from the aisle. My buddy's sitting here on the fourth seat. These two teenagers come in halfway through the concert. The guy sitting next to me sits down and completely slumps over, passed out. Buddy sitting next to him starts laughing. He says, we're from Dallas, Georgia, and he drunk a fifth of tequila on the way here. Thinking, wow. <laughs> I, if I drank a fifth of tequila, I sure wouldn't be sitting in this seat right here. I'd be laying on the floor, I'm sure. Yeah. Halfway through the concert, all of a sudden he raises up and begins to spew over everybody in the two rows in front of him. I told you I was going to gross you out for a minute. Jolene said, do not tell that story. I said, I got to tell it. It's too good not to tell. <coughs> As that began, I'm climbing over my buddy trying to get away from it because he was sitting right next to me. Luckily, everything went forward. Luckily for me, everything went forward. Needs to say he cleared out the two rows in front of him. The nastiest thing I've ever seen in my life. Of course, as everybody ran to the back, you know, five minutes later, here come the paramedics down there. They actually had to turn on the lights in that section so they could get this guy laying on the table to get him out of there. What was the point, you know? I mean, here, here, here the guy I'm with, we're, we're just sitting there. I guess we're, I wasn't a big ZZ Top fan. I just went because I got invited. But we're sitting there trying to enjoy the concert. And this kid, you know, didn't make it very enjoyable after that. I don't even remember the concert after that because all I could think about was not getting that stuff on me. Point is, these things happen. 
we can get caught up in it, right? It's easy to do. I've been to a few country concerts since then, but not a rock concert. Never look more laid back, right? Nah, you can get just involved in those things anywhere. Even the innocent can get caught up in these things. I want you to turn over to passages of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's read the passage there. Verse 3, 1 Peter 4, verse 3 says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. We've spent enough time doing that when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. And they're speaking evil of you. But they will give an account of him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men, to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Peter's summing up what Paul is kind of saying here. We living in the spirit are going to be judges of those who live in the flesh. Not in so many words, but the way we live our lives. And the world's going to look at you and say, you're silly, why do you live like that? You only live a short time, you need to have as much fun as you can. Let's get drunk. Let's have a party. We look stupid to the world. We look silly. But Paul and Peter say, in the end, you will judge those who had the gospel preached to them so that they will know the difference. They will know why you live in the spirit while they live in the flesh. Such behavior of Christians is unbecoming. The world thinks it's strange for us not to engage such things. And they may think, well, that's silly that you refrain from all this stuff, right? Have some fun. But it's in view of the judgment that should prompt us to take you to the work, take these works of the flesh seriously, trying not to participate. He goes on there at the end to say something else. He mentions all these, this list of things, and he says, and the like. In other words, he's concluding the list with something that implies Paul's list is not to be taken as all-inclusive, right? He's saying the sins listed are to give us an idea of what these things of the flesh are, but we have to take a little discernment for ourselves, right? We have to consider things that he doesn't mention. Things today, perhaps, you know, that didn't exist back then. Think about it, right? Uh, they didn't have TV in the first century, you know? Uh, but the Bible doesn't list all these things, right? We have to think about these things. We, we have to consider these things, right? What's good to do? what is good to watch on TV, what is good to participate in, what is good to listen to, what is good to read. But how do we know? How do we know for sure something we're doing is not wrong? How do we know for sure what we're participating in is not a work of the flesh? Sometimes it might be a little 
difficult to know. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. Let's see what the Hebrew writer has to say about that. Hebrews 5 and uh, verse 12. Hebrew writer says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, yet you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What's the Hebrew writer saying? You got to practice. You got to serve. You got to work. And you got to grow. Not in the flesh, in the spirit. By doing such things, by being in the Word, in prayer, thinking on things above, thinking on the Spirit, your, what you might say, your senses, your whole body, your spirit becomes strong. With the help of God, we are able to mature and discern what's right and wrong. If you're living in the Spirit, because of your exercise, because of your practice, because of your being a disciple, you're going to know. You're going to see things and you're going to say, that's not good. Yeah, on the surface it might be not looking so bad, but I know from my experience, from my mindset, which is on God, not on the flesh, that's not good. And I don't need to be involved with it. That's how we do it. It's really not that hard, actually. You know what's right and wrong. You see things. Paul is saying, and the like, don't participate in it. We're expected to exercise discernment concerning good and evil using the principles found in the scriptures. Of course, with anything else, if you don't know, what's the first thing you need to be doing? On your knees, right? In prayer. In the word. We got what we need. We have it. It's not hard. The better we understand these works of the flesh, the better we are able to make decisions concerning godly living. As I said, we're going to talk in a couple weeks about the works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to see some things that should be being produced in our lives if we're living according to that Spirit. <clears throat> the purpose of our study here is we, 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 we decide, try to learn what sort of things constitute works of the flesh, right? so we can know what to avoid. But remember, Paul wrote, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whether it's one of those things listed or something such like. Ultimately, 
what do you need to keep in mind? Do you want to inherit the kingdom of God? Do you want to spend eternity with the Lord or not? That's what it really comes down to. It's not about what you want to do. It's not about, I can drink a little. And I'm not going to get in an argument about whether you're drunk at 0.02 or 0.08 or whatever it is. The point is, we need to think on the spirit, not on the flesh. It's not about what you want. Yes, sir. Good point. Kurt just said it takes you five drinks to get drunk. You do one, you're one-fifth drunk. Good point. I want to make one last point before we close. The use of the word practice implies Paul's warning against those who persistently engage in such things. And we've all been guilty of things, right? I'm, I've had a drink in my life, sad to say. But remember, we have forgiveness. Okay? And I don't want to get somebody in here thinking I'm doomed to hell. Or if you're struggling with something, I know alcohol can be a powerful drug and some people can have issues with it. The point being, don't want you to think that just because you've sinned and one time you're doomed to not inherit the kingdom of heaven. We have forgiveness. When we're struggling with something, we need to be in prayer. We need to be in the Word. We may need someone to help us with it. And that's what we're here for. We're not here to condemn each other. We're here to get to heaven together. And maybe that requires some help from one another. And if you have a struggle with that, don't hesitate, man. Come to see one of the elders. Come see one of the ministers. Maybe you have a good friend you need to reach out to. We're here to do that. So don't get the idea that you're condemned because you have a problem with drinking. God's grace can overcome anything. Okay? All right. Thanks for being here. Our time is up.